After spending two years off and on with a man who had stage four cancer and was wanting to die, I learned that his desire to die, in addition to the pain brought upon by cancer, was fraught with financial and relational complications with those closest to him. Furthermore, he was a well-known figure in the city and well-regarded in more socially elite circles. In short, he was a mess, and he wished to exude a certain positive, well-put-together image, but inwardly he was alone, terrified, and desperate. With a curious mixture of both a Jewish and Lutheran upbringing, he had shared his concerns about his faith, and over time, he wished to open the discussion once again. Who was I to say no to that? Later, he asked for me to officiate his funeral, and he wished for me to share about his faith in Christ. So on the day of his funeral, with over 800 people packing into the larger room, I began to grow somewhat anxious when more and more men wearing kippahs, that is school caps, were entering into the room and seating themselves in the first several rows. So when I shared about the man's faith in Christ, yeah, hey, it's Andy, and this is the 62nd episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. detail, historical context that puts you in the action. Now, nobody stoned me. Then again, we have laws against that. I did get hissed at. Hissed at. Yes. At first, I thought somebody in the room might have been blowing his nose, but nope, they were hissing at me. Tough crowd. Rest assured, Paul has seen much worse than I have. I just got his stat, but Paul, he was physically attacked many times because he shared about Jesus. And after a rocky start on their way to Derby, Paul, Silas make it back to Lystra and they bring Gaius from Derby along with them. Paul is slowly fashioning his band of disciples in preparation for future ministry. And who is next on the list to join his group? Well, let's find out. And with that, let's get started. I remember your genuine faith, and you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong with you. This is why I remind you to fan into the flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 5-7 through seven. Mesmerized by the scene in front of him, Silas closes and reopens his eyes in hopes of seeing better. This is wild, he says. Coming from behind, Gaius sidles up next to Silas and takes in the scene before them. Turning his head to see Silas and Gaius taking the colony among the boulders, Paul smiles and says, Yeah, I had the same response when I saw it for the first time, too. Silas turns to Paul and sees him grimace. This is the place, isn't it? Yep, Paul replies. He lets out a deep breath and steps forward. The road begins to widen as they reach the open city gates. Stopping, Paul suddenly recalls Barnabas's voice calling out to him. Paul! Paul! Can you hear me? His distant-sounding voice rings out. Vaguely remembering himself laying in the dirt, right over there, he says aloud. What's that? Gaius asks. I didn't quite get... Interrupting, Paul repeats himself while pointing to the spot. It was over there, he says. 
He walks over and stares at the ground where he had been beaten, bloodied, and left for dead. He then bends down to brush the dirt with his hand, pinching it between his fingers. He looks back at both men and then up at the gates towering above them. Caught up in the moment, he hears Barnabas's voice again. Paul! Paul! Are you awake? Can you hear me? The voice asks. Oh, why was I so stubborn, he laments. Barnabas is a really good guy, Paul says aloud in a moment of grief. If he didn't tend to me here, well, I would... He pauses. I would... Suddenly capturing his thought from another angle, he smiles and says with a glimmer of new resolve, Well, I would be with the Lord. No offense, but that would be a lot better for me. None taken, Silas responds. I get it. Life means living for Jesus. Paul nods his head and responds, and dying would truly be our reward. With a determined affect, Paul grabs Silas his shoulder in a moment of gratitude. Thank you, my brother. He then looks toward the gates and says, Well, for their sake, I guess it's better that we continue to live. Snapping a piece of bread from a flat cake, Paul looks up at his hosts and smiles. Lois, thank you. Eunice, thank you for extending your kindness towards us. Silas looks up and smiles at Timothy seated next to him, patting him on his knee. Doting on a face from the past, Lois says, You look much healthier than the last time we saw you. Silas looks over at Paul with new interest. He then says aloud with a mischievous smile, Oh, while Paul has shared this story, I always appreciate hearing it from an unbiased third party, he winks. Eunice grins and says, Oh, what did he say? Okay, okay, Paul interrupts. We all know what happened here. The people here thought Barnabas and I were gods. Waving Paul off, Eunice takes charge. Yes, that's because you healed Tariq right in front of us, before the entire town. Tariq, that's his name, Paul responds, as if having an aha moment. Looking back at Eunice, he then says, Hey, it wasn't me. Our Lord did the healing. I was just along for the ride. But that's not what we saw, Lois gently responds. We saw a man we've known for years and thought he was cursed by the gods. So when you healed him, when God healed him, Paul corrects. Yes, when God healed him, we knew something was happening in our midst, Lois says. Fully engaged with the retelling of the experience, Timothy finally speaks up. That is when the whole town brought you in front of the city gates, right? They thought you were Zeus and Hermes and were setting things up to pay you homage. Grimacing at this, Paul shrugs in concession. Smiling, Silas responds, Ooh, yikes, that's probably not where you wanted things to go. Paul shakes his head. No, not at all, he says. Barnabas and I were besides ourselves, not knowing what to do. So I called out to the townspeople to explain what had happened, but Eunice finishes his story. That's when the city officials from Iconium showed up on horses and persuaded the whole town to think you guys were criminals, Lewis says, adding her commentary. So they took you out of the city gates, threw stones at you, and left catching herself. Lois begins to tear up. We thought you were dead. Becoming emotional as he relives the moment once again, Paul composes himself and says, Well, God had other plans, and as long as I'm here in the body, I will continue to do what I'm doing here with you. Changing the subject, Paul continues, I look forward to seeing the believers here once again, especially Tariq. I know it's been a while, but 
Maybe you three can catch us up. Are you still meeting together here? Lois and Eunice affectionately look over at Timothy, who suddenly grows red from the fawning. Paul looks around at the others and asks, What am I missing here? Waiting for someone to speak up, he looks at Timothy and asks, Well, is someone going to say something? Glowing, Lois speaks up. Well, this young man has become our teacher. Silas slowly nods his head and says, Right on. Eunice chimes in. Yeah, he knows his Torah, his prophets. He knows the wisdom and the hymns, and he's latched onto your teachings when you were here last. We made sure of that, Lois says with confidence. Paul also nods and turns to learn more from the young man seated right across from him. All right, he smiles and repeats himself. Okay, well, I want to learn more about this. When, once we get settled here, maybe we can catch up. Hiking in the forest ravine behind the village, Timothy turns his head back to face the others. Pointing towards a nearby rock formation, he shares, We'll come out here to the woods and worship and share stories that have been shared with us. What do you teach them? Paul asks. Well, Timothy hesitates and says, Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. He looks down and sweeps the dirt with his sandals. Like my mom mentioned, I, I know the Tanakh, so I teach things from the Law and Prophets, but I only know what you've shared with us, that Jesus paid for our sin debt by his sacrificial death and resurrection. Oh, and we try our best to recite the hymns when we gather together. Nodding with understanding, Paul grips Timothy's shoulder and says, I'm grateful for you being dedicated to stick with this. This is why we had to come back to you. This is why we've endured some pretty challenging situations. We have so much to explain, so many stories to share, Paul says. Smiling, Timothy replies, Yeah, I, I need to learn more because I have a lot of questions about things, questions that have been asked of me that I don't have answers for. I get that, Paul says as he bends down to pick up a stick. Of those you teach, how many of them are Jewish? Seating himself on a boulder, Timothy shakes his head and continues. Some of the Jewish guys, well, they no longer have much to do with us. I'm not worthy to be around them, they would say, not to my face, but to each other. Looking confused, Gaius speaks up. I don't get it. Why would they say that? Paul turns to face Gaius and speaks with understanding of Timothy's plight because Timothy's dad is Greek. Looking back at Timothy, Paul then says, does that sound about right? Timothy shrugs at this. You're not circumcised, are you? Paul bluntly asks. Timothy sheepishly looks off in the distance. Satisfied with the lack of response, Paul then says back to Gaius, because he's not one of them. Timothy looks up into the branches above, unsure with how to respond. Timothy, Paul says, let's change that. What? Timothy says, caught off guard. I want you to join us, Timothy, Paul replies. Let me teach you the ways of our Lord so that you may teach others. Surprised by the invitation, Timothy responds, Wow, well, that sounds great. I would love to learn from you. Learning from me will require you to be with me at all times, Paul warns. You mean you, you want me to go with you? Timothy asks. Does, does that mean I'll need to leave my mother and grandmother behind? Paul looks directly into Timothy's eyes and responds, all in due time, Timothy. All in due time. But first, we need to spend some time strengthening the body of believers here in Lystra. Smiling at the idea of being taught by Paul, Timothy looks up and asks, Well, where do we start? 
Paul and Silas exchange knowing glances as Paul lets out a brief laugh and says, well, this first part, I don't think you're going to like it. But we're going to stop here for today. Oh no, what's about to happen to Timothy? You probably have already guessed. Timothy is about to embark upon a journey of a lifetime under the leadership of Paul, taking him away from his family and preparing him for the hardships and joys of lifelong ministry. But getting started with this endeavor will require circumcision. I know, ouch. But why would Paul hasten to circumcise Timothy here and not Titus earlier when he accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem? Was the issue of circumcision a spiritual issue? Did Timothy's circumcision make it more pleasing to God? Now, while God wasn't too worried about this, his fellow Jews in Roman Galatia and beyond certainly would be. Titus was Greek, remember? And in the minds of many Jewish believers, he was already brushed aside as inconsequential. Timothy, however, had a Jewish upbringing from mom and grandma who were both Jewish. Only his dad was Greek. This is simply a case of anticipating the pushback from a Jewish audience in a practical ministry situation. To have credibility as a teacher among the Hellenistic Jews throughout Roman Galatia, Timothy would have to go through this rather painful process. And this brings us to our takeaway today. Know your audience. If anyone understands the nature of the Jewish culture, both Hellenistic and Hasmonean, it is Paul. Not only did he previously play for the Hasmonean team, he was also hunted down by groups from both sides in Damascus, Jerusalem, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, and especially here in Lystra. There's just something about Paul's messages that has led these Jewish groups to want to kill him with rocks. By the way, Jesus gave multiple warnings to his followers about this very issue. One such warning is written to us shortly before Jesus was arrested, tried, and condemned to death as an insurrectionist. He would have been killed by rocks too had the Romans not intervened. Here's what he said in John 16. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. John 16, 1-4 Because the message of Jesus is highly incendiary in nature, Paul didn't need to add any fuel to that fire, ever. So why complicate matters by having a guy like Timothy who will be teaching a bunch of Jewish believers without being circumcised, especially in Roman Galatia, which has a number of Hellenistic Jews? These Hellenistic Jews would make for a large part of Paul's target audience in this part of the world. Paul knew he needed to know his audience if he was going to have any success as a missionary. He also knew that he needed to get into the heads and values of those he aimed to reach. He even communicated as much when later talking with the believers in Corinth, encouraging them to do the same. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, 
as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, well, I became as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, which is the royal law of Christ, love God, love others, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, the message of the new covenant that Jesus would be dying in our place, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. It is really important to note here that Paul knew who he was in Christ. He understood what knowing Jesus meant and found his identity completely wrapped up in his relationship with God. This mindset is critical because without it, we will be lost and accomplish nothing for the kingdom of heaven. In fact, we will do far more damage to God's agenda when we judge the world above and beyond its current state of judgment. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, 17 through 21. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So my question is, why should we add to this by being judgmental? And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The world needs the hope of Jesus, not the judgment of God and his followers. It already stands condemned by God for its unbelief. Remember, that's why God sent Jesus to remedy this issue? If we're not internally directed by the hope and the compassion of God, actively being transformed by his spirit, then we are not doing the kingdom of God any favors. Thinking like a missionary means knowing your audience and knowing their cultural biases. You know what their hang-ups are. You know what drives them, what motivates them, what excites them, and what discourages them. It means that you have become students of your target audience. It means that you know their boundaries and what will set them off. It also means that your approach matters. Yes, they need to hear the truth about Jesus, but they do not need to hear about how much you stand against them. If we're too busy shouting out on Facebook or Instagram how the world has defiled our moral code, let's take a step back and regroup. It's time to first let the work of God permeate within us so that both the truth about God and the love of God shows through us. Thinking like a missionary identifies a common bond with your target audience so that you may help them see how God's truth can remedy their issues. And this requires building trust with others over the long haul. So, what should be our attitude? Here's what it is. It means finding your wholeness of being in Jesus. Allow the Spirit of God to change you into becoming the loving agent of God so that you may speak the truth of God into an already judged world, that is, with compassion. May you be God's agent, His ambassador of love 
and truth by first being recharged in your own walk with Jesus and that your attitude towards your audience will change because you wish to reach them just as God has reached you. Have a wonderful week. Now, let's move forward together.